test two? Good. Well, I'm going to say good morning to all. I hope you've had a hope you had a great week. Get outside a little bit yesterday. Anybody get outside a little bit yesterday? I noticed that when the sun shines, um, people smile more. You know what I mean? It's like they seem to be a little bit happier, a little bit friendlier. It's like, okay, good. Come, come on out of our cave and let's uh, enjoy a little bit of what God has, has done. I think today we're supposed to, it's supposed to be beautiful again, so uh, we'll soak it in and enjoy it. I'm going to go into chapter 2 of Romans today, and we'll kind of recap the very ending of the first chapter, and then we'll try to set up chapter 2, dive into it. And um, so... I'm looking forward to just this time we get to spend. Let's pray. Lord, as we join together, we come together under your name. This book should challenge us. It does challenge us. Uh, Lord, I can just imagine the, the earliest readers of this letter uh, receiving these words. And the words we're going to read today probably were not received well. But Lord, uh, they're real words. They're true. They, they cut to the heart, even as you say your word will. And Lord, they, they convict and they call us. And Lord, what they call us to is right and good. And so I'm just going to pray as we uh, dive into this second chapter of Romans that you allow us to hear it with ears that both recognize what was being said to the church in, in its time, but likewise recognize what's being said to us, the church today. Lord, we pray for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, how many of you um, have ever been to a Donald Trump rally? No one in this room. How many of you have ever wanted to go to a Donald Trump rally? Okay, you rambunctious souls, right? Here's the reason I'm going to say that is, um, you know, uh, people can get pretty excited about um, words. And I want you to kind of hear the, the words that we closed with last week. Because as you end the first chapter of Romans, there's a, a real sense in which the, the church gathered together is looking at, it, at the culture. And um, there's a little bit of this pulpit pounding sense that here are these words that really reflect what's going on in the culture. And so the hearer is back here kind of looks like uh, a Donald Trump rally crowd. If you've ever watched, you know, we've watched it on TV where Trump is up there going, you know, they, this is a witch hunt and, and they're the, the uh, lazy whatever. And I mean, and you just see the people like, yeah, there go Donald, go, go Donald. You almost get that sense as, as, the, as Rome, Romans 1 ends that I'm, I'm hearing this. Now remember who's hearing this. Uh, this is a, a letter set in Rome. Um, Rome is made up of, of some of the, well, Rome is a city where you're going to find more synagogues than, than any, any city in the Roman Empire. So you have these, a lot of Jews. And uh, what's happening is uh, those, many of those uh, synagogues have begun to convert into, into Christians. But as you would suspect, they're still a part of, of me as I become a a follower of Jesus, that retains, I can't get it out of me, my Jewish roots, right? And so I'm looking at this Roman culture, and as a little kid, I've grown up, and what I've been told is, um, we the Jews are, are living under the law of God. We have the law, 
God gave us the, 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 the law through Moses. We're the keepers of the law. We're the body on earth that God favors. We're the body that God is called to live out the law. And we are different than the dirty, filthy world that surrounds us. It's a good thing that our temple has walls. It's a good thing that our temple keeps those Gentiles, those stinking Gentiles, out of our courts. It's a good thing that we're separated from them and we're different from them. And so if I've grown up with that, now listen to the the words that are being used at the very end of chapter 1, descriptive of, of the culture, right? So you have... You know, Paul, if you go up to, to verse 28, since they did not acknowledge God, they gave, he gave them up to this debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Yeah, that's what's going on out there. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. That's right, man. Look at them all out there. They're, that's evil out there. That's, that's malice out there. That, that, that's, oh, oh. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. And maliciousness. Yeah! Look at them all. Horrible, stinking Gentile. Good thing we have those walls to keep them out. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. I'm telling you, I hear them gossiping all the time. They're talking about this person, that person. Good they're, they're, they're filthy. They're haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Yes, they are. Look at all the evil they're inventing. They're disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, Heartless and ruthless. Yeah! Though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They deserve to die! They deserve to die! That's the Jew in me. Right? Now, was it that pronounced? No. But I want you to, I'm, I'm over-exaggerating it because I want you to feel it. I want you to sense that. As I listen to this letter... Paul is speaking to me, and there's a part of me that really does look at the world and say, I'm glad we're not like that. Does that ever happen in the church today? It does, doesn't it? Our inclination as as human beings and, and followers of Jesus Christ is to otherize, is to look at the world out here and we're over here. It's to, as we look at history, it's to say, how can we make sure that we create enough bubble that we're protected from that, right? And uh, it's not what God called us to. He called us to go out into the world uh, with his gospel. So about the time everybody's in the Trump rally is going, yeah, they deserve to die, Paul moves on to chapter 2. Now I want you to see what happens. I like to call it the dramatic shift. If you've ever read literature and you turn the page and all of a sudden, boom, big shift takes place. That's exactly what happens with verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges couple of things are going on there. Those words, trust me, those words, as, as the Jewish part of me, I don't like those words. Because Paul's now turning his attention. He goes, this is, this is the way you see the world. But now what's happened is you've kind of put yourself up here. You've otherized. You've made yourself the judges of what you see going on there. 
And so I want you to catch these words because they're easy to miss. Therefore, you have no excuse. The term again is dialogizimos, and it means you have no words to use. You have no words to stand on. Oh, man. Um, every time you see this word, oh, man, we, we don't even think about it. We're like, oh, oh, man. But it, it, it's meant to say something. So the, the term is anthropos, anthropu, anthropois, you, oh man. It means you, son of Adam. Wait a minute, I'm a son of Abraham. I'm, I'm a son of the covenant. I, I'm, I'm a son of Moses. We're the keepers of the law. No, you're a son of man. You aren't different than every single human being that's ever been born your blood goes back to Adam's blood. And so there's a, there's a high level of intentionality throughout all of Paul's literature to use this term, anthropos, you, oh man, to say something particularly to the, to the Jew inside of me. It's meant to say, you've kind of been sitting up here. I'm different than the rest of the world. I'm called out. I'm better. I'm good. I, I otherize and no, wait a minute, I'm not. I am the same. I have Adam's blood in me, I'm in need of the cross of Jesus Christ as much as anyone. What have you done? You've set yourself up as a judge. He goes on to say, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now that long list of words at the Trump rally, maliciousness, anger, bitterness, invent ways to sin, all of a sudden, guess what just happened? A dramatic shift. Because all of a sudden, the finger went just like this. And all of those words apply to me. This is what I hate about Romans, is if you actually read it intentionally, it begins to convict you. You start to say to yourself, well, I want to otherize. I want to make myself other than the world. Uh, I don't, this isn't part of my life. And then the more you read it, the more you recognize, wait a minute, um, I, this is me. I am a son of Adam. I have this in me, the capacity to hate. The capacity to hate. It exists inside of the church. In fact, some of the, 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 the most hateful things I've ever heard spoken about other human beings have not been outside of the church, have been inside the church about other people that are Christians. Maliciousness, gossip, Thank God gossip doesn't happen in the church. You know, I grew up, I remember as a young pastor, somebody told me, they said, um, that voters meeting you're going to have? I'm like, yeah, the vote's already been had. I'm like, we haven't had the meeting yet. They go, yeah, it was had in the parking lot. I'm like, in the parking lot? They're like, yeah, they made this decision in the parking lot. Well, it wasn't in the parking lot. That's right. They don't make decisions with you there. They made the decision in the parking lot because here's what's going on in that parking lot. Good thing we don't gossip, right? Maliciousness. Ooh, it's a bad word. Inventors of evil. And I'll tell you what. It's all in us. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, I want you to think about, I want to think about who you are. Because if you, if you pull back here and you set yourself above the world, and you try to pull out of it, and you look at others before looking at self. You'll never be able to impact the world. You impact the world when you begin where? On your knees, 
recognizing who you are and what's inside of you and the capacity that I have uh, for evil. This, by the way, is why Luther, uh, in the small catechism, uh, teaches us to remember our baptism daily. And I never, I, honestly, I didn't understand that. When I went through confirmation, I'm like, remember your baptism daily. I'm not going to remember my baptism. That's ridiculous. I look like a fool anyway. I put me in a dress and stuck me out in front of people. My parents, evil, evil parents doing that. They took pictures of me. Why did they do that? I'm not going to remember my baptism. Well, no, Luther, what is he saying? He's saying is, every morning when I wake up, guess who wakes up with me? Old Adam. And old Adam, guess what old Adam wants to do? Sin. And so what, I think one of the things that separates um, the, the branch of Christianity that we identify with some of Luther's findings, biblical findings, from, from other evangelical churches is this idea that, that attains to this fact of our sin. Oh man, I am a son of Adam. And so what Luther would say is, rather than stand before God and say to him uh, in, in, a, in a pious way, God, I love you, Lord. I, I oh, this day is your day, God. It belongs to you, and I, with all my heart, I just want, I want to worship you. Luther would say, don't do that, don't do that. Remember your baptism. Old Adam. Old Adam is present. And old Adam doesn't wake up that way. Old Adam wakes up and says, good morning, God. How are you this morning? I really want to sin. And it's true. I do. Why? Because old Adam says, I'm God. All of chapter one. Who have you made yourself to be? God. And I want what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. And I'm going to tell you, God, when to give it to me and how to give it to me. And you better pay attention to me because I'm real important. That's old Adam. So they would say, listen, you need to remember that. Rather than, than pretend to be something other than that, recognize you, oh man, you need what? To be put to death today. And in baptism, isn't, isn't that what's happening is this old Adam is being drowned, is being put to death. So I, I really do like to wake up and, and recognize, okay, God, um, there's, a, there's, there's a very real sense in which today I, I want to, there's the list of words, malicious, gossip, I, there is. That's old Adam. Can you, I can't do, I can't deny that. Would you put that to death in me? Because if you don't do it, I, I, I definitely, I'm going to go out and live that way. And so that's the intention here is to say, don't put yourself up here and, and say, I'm, I'm better than, but rather come back and understand who, who we are. I'm not the one who, who is, sits on the throne of judgment. That's what God does. I look at another person, and I'm, I want to see a, a soul and a person who was made in the image of God, and, and no matter what they are doing, and I may hate some of what they're doing, just as God does, uh, I'm called to bring to them the, the Word of God, which is, consists of both the law and the, and the gospel, because my heart for them is that their old Adam be put to death. The law convicts. And that they be raised up new. The gospel, what? The gospel transforms. The law convicts. The gospel transforms. We bring both out into the world. And in fact, uh, a lot of good literature today uh, in our Lutheran vein really talks about that role uh, of prophet that we play out in the, in the civil world today 
as bearers of both law, predominantly law, uh, because we live in a world that needs conviction, as well as how, do now, how now do we bring gospel. The two have to go together. They can't be separated from one another. Go to verse 2. He says, we know the judgment of God, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So do you logizo, O man? Do you, do you word, O man? Do you tell yourself a story, O man? You who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God. Do you tell yourself that, that story? You're going to sit as judge over here, and are you telling yourself the story, well, I, I'm going to escape judgment because I'm not like that. Because guess what? You're in trouble then. Verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? I think that, 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 that part of verse 4 has always been significant to me. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Do you presume upon it? So the, the word here is katafroneo, which means to assume or to take for granted. Do you just take for granted the kindness of God, his patience with you, his, his, his loving kindness with you, his forgiving spirit with you? I think sometimes we do, right? Um, over my years, some of the theologians that have really challenged me Come, come out of a, a vein of Christianity that, that looks at as old Adam raises up in me, what do I do? Well, part of it is I, I want to sin. The other part of it is I, I, want to, I want to take advantage of the forgiving, patient, loving kindness of God. And so I may in my mind, in a subtle way, and it typically is a subtle way, say to myself, it's okay for me to do this because God's going to forgive me anyway. It's okay to continue to do this because God's going to forgive me anyway. I may try to justify, yeah, I hate that person, but you know what? It, it, God's, God's going to forgive me. Oh yeah, I, I, may, I may be stuck in this, this way of life, this this sinful pattern of life, this addictive way of life. But you know what? God's, God's going to forgive me. And, and, and I will say that when I presume or I begin to take, take for granted an assumption, you know what? God is just, that's who he is. He's loving. He's kind. He's just going to forgive. Then, then what I'm really doing again is I'm allowing old Adam to, to have a place in my life that subtly is denying my need for the cross of Jesus Christ, denying my need to, to have a part of me put to death. I'm going to say this really as plainly as I can. Um, I have somebody, somebody comes in and they approach me. They're like, well, Pastor Luke, I'm having, I'm having problems with pornography. Or Pastor Luke, I'm having problems, whatever. Um, but it's not, that, it's not that big a deal. And, and, and I, I, I think it's, but I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to get it out of my life. Okay? Do you really want to get it out of your life? Well, yeah, I really do. And they don't. They don't. And, uh, and what I've discovered is, I mean, there's, there's been over the years all kinds of tools that have been created to, to help that, that person. 
But you know what? It's not until that person gets to this place of absolute brokenness before God that says, this is destroying me, it's destroying other people, it's destroying my relationships, and God, I can't get it out of my life. Not until that moment that, I, that God says, okay, good. Now, now we can talk. Because I have to reach that place of conviction. That's the place of the law in our life. And, and, and the law does not allow us to just assume God's grace and forgiveness and loving kindness and patience. It pushes us to recognize that I, I, I hate that person or I have, I have a, 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 an issue with this other person. And I think it's okay for me to just leave it alone, not to address it, not to, not to seek reconciliation. No, you can't leave it alone. Yeah, God's forgiving. Yeah, he's forgiving. But what, what Paul is saying is, as long as you live in that, you're subtly denying your need for the cross. Oh man, who do you think you are? You're a person, just like Adam, who, who needs the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And, and there's, there's a place where the Spirit finally convicts us to recognize this thing that I want to dismiss, this thing in me that I want to say, it's not a big deal, it's a big deal. It is, it is hurting other people. It's separating me. And so I need to give it to you, God. So he's really, these, you can, you can kind, of get, kind of get this thing that uh, that shift is going on. And now all of a sudden the hearers who've been going like, give it to the world. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know what? I think you're, yeah, you're talking to me. You're saying to me, um, I as a human being both need the cross of Jesus Christ to put to death that old Adam in me, and then I need at a deeper level look at the self-deception, the way I deceive myself, into thinking that I can allow this sin, which is what it is, to have place, to have room in my life, as though it's not going to hurt me. It will. It will. And so I think, I think those are some strong words that Paul is, is giving to um, the, the church in Rome. Um, because he he needs them to know before you can before you can impact the culture around you you have to recognize your your part in the whole know who you are okay he he finishes that that verse out verse 4 with these words not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance he's trying to pull you to himself and you're resisting Okay, verse 5. But because of your hard... Now, these are words to the church. Just think about this. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Um, those words ought to, ought, to cause, ought to cause pause in the church of Jesus Christ. They should. And I think they don't. We read them like, oh, yeah. I hope we hear them. Your hard and impenitent hearts are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Those words are spoken to the church. And what he's saying is, if if you retain a, a heart that's hardened towards other people, it will harden your heart to God. And as a Jew, you grew up believing what? That you're righteous, that you've got the word of God, you're the keeper of the law. When the day of wrath comes, it's going to be on them. 
But he's saying, I'm telling you right now, if you retain a hardness of heart, it's going to be on you. Okay. Um, I was in ministry not all that long. I had just moved to Lincoln and started the, um, the, the church there uh, in Lincoln. And so we had, we had just a pretty small group of people that began worshiping. And we started to grow a little bit. Probably had probably had reached a point where we we went from maybe 25 people out there to more like 150 people out there. And so people were like, "Hey, this is good. God's doing some good stuff here." And a knock came to my door, and uh, it was a person who was really in turmoil. And and here was their request. They said, "Say, um, we want to talk to you. Um, we're." We're going to be up front. We're going to tell you the truth. We're living together. We're not married. We have a kid. And we want our child baptized. And so we went to the, to the, the church that we go to. It's a Lutheran church. I we went to the pastor. And we said we, we would like to have this baptism. And the pastor said, no. I'm not going to do it. And he said, until the two of you move from living in sin... To being married, your child cannot be baptized in our church. And so we're coming to you, and maybe this breaks all the rules of Lutheran churches, but we're going to ask you the question, would you baptize our child? Now, for right reasons, um, I had one thing I had to say to them is, I, would, I, I want to baptize your child. Baptism belongs to Jesus Christ, not to a church or to me. It's, it belongs to Jesus Christ, and, and his gift of, of grace belongs to your child. I do have to call your pastor. I have to call him because I'm part of a synod. And so I called him. I said, listen, uh, this is what I want to do. I like to do this baptism. He gave me a bunch of words which kind of ended up being... You know, um, I disagree with you. I don't think this should happen. I think we should force them. Use this as leverage to force them to get married. I said, I can't do that. I'm not, it's not who I, it's not who I am. I don't, I don't believe that you can take the law and use it as a tool to force people to do something in order to gain another operation. I don't think that's right. Can I talk to them about their living together? Yeah. Should I? Absolutely, I will. But I'm not going to take the law and use it as leverage in this, this instance. I did the baptism. After the baptism, um, a gentleman came to me, and uh, he said to me, if you ever do that again in this church, I will leave this church. He was very angry with me. Um, I said, can you define it if I ever do it again? You know what, it, you baptized that, those, 